On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, we discuss the last week's crazy end to the GameStop short squeeze saga, and we also prepare for next week, along with the Bitcoin craze. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies, and then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4% fucking percent. Buy the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about IDEX? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out, likes this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. They out there making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting in work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big! Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity at Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. This episode of Pennies Going In Raw is brought to you by Benzinga. Benzinga was started with the mission of leveling the playing field between Wall Street and the individual investor. They want to be the number one news source for investors, so tell them how to improve by emailing editorial at benzinga.com. Also, check out Benzinga Pro free for two weeks at pro.benzinga.com, the source for real-time news and data. Welcome to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Monday, February the 8th, and obviously we had the GameStop stuff last week, which we'll touch on, but today I think one of the big things that we need to mention is Bitcoin's going wild right now. Uh, It's around $45,000. And is this all kind of just on this uh, Elon Musk news? Is that enough for a 12% pop or whatever it had? Well, here's one of the biggest things. When we talked about Tesla, one of the things that we said was that we thought that Elon Musk trapped shorts on purpose. And, And if you notice, you know, if you look at Tesla, every time that there was, you know, that everyone that shorts were packing in because they thought that it was bad news, he came out with something else, whether it be AI technology or promises, things of that nature. Tesla, it's kind of funny that we were right on the make it or break it line for uh, Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, Tesla comes out with crazy good news that they bought 1.2 billion worth. So, uh, I mean, it is in part, you know, the fact that they bought that much, but also Bitcoin was poised. We've been saying it for two weeks that, you know, once the money outflows from GME and AMC, that we that it was probably going to fly into cryptos and weed. I mean, Kern's up, thir- what, uh, 45% in two days. Bitcoin's back to all-time highs. I mean, we saw this coming. So so do I think that that Elon Musk and Tesla had something to do with the Bitcoin rally uh, today? For sure, no doubt about it. But it, it is a coincidence that um, that right on the, you know, what I'm going to call the resistance line of Bitcoin, it comes out great news that, um, that they uh, bought $1.2 billion worth. So that's what I'm thinking. Right. And you did just mention the whole uh, GME, people taking their profits or potentially losses from there. We, we, so we saw it hit above 600 in that crazy pre-market day, and it's back to around 65. Uh, on last week's episode, not the midweek, but the, the super big one, uh, we, we kind of warned about this. Um, do you think this all like it'd be this low if Robinhood never halted it, or do you think that it would have just continued its rally? And do you think like Robinhood just stopped all of this progress? 
I did think that this had the potential to go to 700, talking about GME. And I really did think that Robin Hood and, you know, the brokers had something to do with that. But we knew that it wasn't that it wasn't an if it was going to come down. It was a when. And that was one of the biggest risks that we talked about was that, you know, yeah, sure, it could go to a thousand. But but again, the backside trade comes 10 times faster. So I think that this was a really good lesson that the brokers can kind of do what they want. Um, you know, I mean, Robinhood, obviously Robinhood's the worst, but that the brokers can kind of do what we do what they want and that they provide a service. And if we don't like it, we can get the hell out and go to another broker. Um, so I do think that this would have gone to 700, but I think that it was only a matter of time before the floor came out from under it. It, it was destined to go back to where it belonged, which I still think it's a little bit too high. You may see a couple of bounces here and there just because people want it to go. But with that all being said, um, I feel like I've been getting a lot of DMs this week on, hey, I started with this much or, hey, my husband decided to put this much into investing. And it's it's people that are down 50% on or more on stocks. And I think I want to have a different answer for all of them because the, all their messages end in what should I do? And I, I think it's totally different on a bunch of different scenarios. One is a GameStop and AMC. I think, yeah, you probably should. I mean, wait for a pop maybe, but that one's, you know, it's, it's tough to seeing those going back up a lot without the short squeeze mania coming. Or is this a biopharma? Kind of like with ONTX a few months ago that dropped 70% in a day. Shit, I mean, if you had the capital to just hold it, you'd still be about broken even right now. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things that's obviously patience plays, but I think it's more important to just not get caught up in the hype. And if you do, just know that this is a chance and you do need to watch it like a hawk. Yeah, and and going off of that, something that that you know I'm sure, because as Dan was saying, that we've been getting a lot of these DMs, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of the people holding GME, it, 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 this is something that we tweet about, was that GME's board and GME's CEOs and their executives, they have a duty to drop an offering. Okay. It's not a question. Will they drop an offering? Okay. Right now they, they need to, okay. It's not a question. They, they basically took an oath, if you will, um, that anytime that they had to do what's best for the company. And right now that's going to be drop an offering. The reason that they haven't dropped an offering yet, um, is because nobody will price them because no, you know, let's call it Maxim or, uh, Wainwright. Nobody, nobody's going to price them at this current share structure. So if you think that this is bad, Wait till somebody prices them for an offering and they drop a billion dollar offering. You know, th- this thing is going to fly back down to 20. The reason it hasn't offered is because all of these there, no one's going to say, hey, we'll give you a direct offering at $200 because yeah. that's absurd. And I guess they're kind of lowballing them in the eyes of the GameStop management. Is that kind of what's going on? Yeah, because exactly. the price is so high and they're probably offering what, like 15, 20 dollars. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when you think about offerings, okay, someone has to price it, and and usually, you know, we we talked about it a few times, but th- these pricings are usually pretty scummy, um, being that they're either underneath, significantly under the price of the current stock, and that's usually why you see massive dips on offerings. Um, in the large cap world, offerings are usually looked at as a good sign because usually the stock is trading at four hundred dollars a share, and they do an offering at four fifty a share. 
Um, so because they feel that the offering is is worth more than the actual current price. Yeah, I mean, you see that in penny stock land too, but they they offer it, you know, at the trading price, and you still see the dips uh, because you know a lot of people using some news sources such as um, today's sponsor Benzinga. But yeah, people will see these offerings and they don't even check the price it's at, and they just automatically just sell. And and I think that's a good way you can really get these quick pops too. Yeah, well, that's the thing about these penny stocks is that they do offerings, you know, that, and that's going to be the thing is that GME is going to have to do an offering. And so if they're trading at $60 a share and an offering comes out for a billion dollars at $20, um, $20 per share, you're going to see a tank. I mean, we saw the same thing with uh, Givo. Givo did a price offering 40% underneath the price that it was trading at um, at 11 p.m. at night. It opened up down like 65%. So you know, that's something to keep in mind. I think the Jivo offering was the scummiest one I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, or even Zom. Zom, Zom's, I mean, Zom, man, I was looking yeah. at that today. It went from six cents to three dollars. That's the kind of market that we're in right now. Zom went from six cents to three dollars. Didn't that one have a reverse split? It did a reverse split, but I think still the pricing. It was only like one to 10. Yeah, it went to like 60 cents yeah. or something. It was still like, a, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I, I remember yeah. that. I remember trading it. I remember trading what, what was the other one? Um, this remember trading Vissel before it's reverse split at like nine yeah, cents. Well, that's what that's part of. I mean, we'll get into the Vissel DD later, but that's part of it. Is that even though the price is more expensive than what we've seen, the market cap is what matters. We'll get into that later, but the market cap is what matters. Yeah, but so just kind of touching on the offering thing one more time. Uh, you, do you kind of want to hit on so large cap usually offering good, small cap usually offering bad? Yeah. So we 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 didn't. Uh, in the episode, I think it was earlier, like the second or yeah, we did a little segment. Yeah, we did a small segment and we talked about what it means as a mixed, what it means as an at the market, stuff like that. But two of the key indications that I like to look at is one, what size is the offering compared to the market cap? So if you have a billion dollar company and they drop a $50 million offering and it's trading at $20 a share and they do the offering at like 1950, Fine. That's fine. That's not even going to affect the price. But you see some of these crappy penny stocks doing, um, you know, their market caps like, you know, let's call it like 200 million and they're doing like a $400 million pricing and they're doing it at a 40% lower than the price that it's trading at. That's something that you want to stay away from. And then something else I look at is warrants. Okay. One of the ones I got screwed at into two years ago was CYCC. It was trading at around 85 cents a share. They dropped an offering, doubled the size of the market cap, and they did warrants um, 30% lower than the price they was trading at. I I was shocked to see it ever go through a dollar. Um, And and that's one of the things you want to look at is one, does it have warrants? Two, what is the size of the offering compared to the market cap? And lastly, three, what is the price that they're doing it at? Um, and that's one of the things that we like about the large cap offerings is that they usually do an offering above the price that it's trading at. Okay, so kind of moving on from them, I know this kind of whole thing started with, uh, you know, if you're in GME or like one of these stocks, they could have an offering and it's going to be poorly priced. So now that the whole offering thing's kind of out of the way, for people that aren't in GME or something and they do have it drop that 50, 60, crazy percent. Even with like ONTX, uh, I, I'm sure you were in it whenever all that went down. Like I, I just sold and and it, it was crazy because, you know, three cents at the price it was at was then 10% as opposed to 2% just to like earlier that morning. So uh, 
you know, it was it was a tough decision to sell, but at the same time, I knew like at the, at the time my account was a lot smaller. I knew that capital would be better used elsewhere instead of waiting, I guess, seven months to break even, or even if I doubled my position down there, it would have still taken me like four or five months. Yeah, no, exactly. That's a really good point. And even with ADMP is that ADMP dropped from 90 cents to 60, like two cents. And that was the low that it would ever hit. And so at that point, if I were to go all in at that moment, I would have uh, effectively five, five X my account um, on that by January. And, and I think we were trading in like November. So I would have five X my account in three months. And so looking back, it's like, why didn't I buy the div? But then the same token, um, you know, I mean, it could have gone so, so much different, you know, like there's so much, there's so much downside and there's so much more risk, you know, if they drop a bigger offering or, you know, more bad news comes out, something like that. Um, so that, and, and of course, like Dan said, the opportunity cost. Yeah. Like, I think that's the biggest thing, especially for these newer investors is the opportunity cost of just holding these things. Do you think if you held it, like, yeah, if you're just at work all the time, you're not really trading and yeah, sure. Uh, or sell some of it. But I think, I think, you know, one of the big things is, is the, the mentality of it. Like I, one of the reasons I didn't hold ONTX is I didn't want to look at something down 70% every day. <laughs> you yeah, know? you can. I mean, in the, in yeah. the, it, you know, it, it takes a lot on you. I know Zach always says, have no emotions, but sometimes they creep in and sometimes just getting that shit out. It, uh, you know, and just, just moving on from a bad trade, I think is important too. I mean, we, we preach patience, but we also, you know, it's super important not to get caught up in these, in a bad trade you make. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, okay, so kind of moving on, um, SPY is just fucking ripping again, uh, like 390, uh, super duper high. And, you know, we're kind of just seeing the Bitcoin and the weed plays, uh, I think like EQOS, XONE, all those, those Bitcoin plays, the weeds, the currents, they're all going crazy at the same time. Uh, I think just Virginia had a, uh, a vote today on it. Alabama had it last week, hooray. And, um, yeah, I mean, are you seeing any other sectors or are you just seeing those two? Because those two are so hot right now. Yeah, no, no, those two are so hot. And obviously we're seeing the, um, you know, the low floats run. I mean, I wake up and I'm looking, I, you know, every morning I look through um, my trade idea scanner and I see what's up and why it's up. And right now for the past few days, all I've, I've had to filter out anything with underneath like a 5 million float because there are things with 2 million float that are just running wild on <coughs> nothing. Well, I think it was AA. Yeah, yeah. low floats are going Yeah, crazy. they're going crazy. So we're seeing low floats. Um, you know, we're seeing the, it, we're, we're seeing a lot of different things. And I think that within the next two to three weeks, we should get a rotation into a more clear sector. So we're seeing the weeds run right now, um, which is really awesome. Um, you know, I think we're, I think we're going to start to, uh, I I'm, I'm I haven't been accumulating any yet, but I think we're going to see another rotation into the EVs, and we're going to start seeing I think um, I think a rotation away from from what we've been seeing the past few weeks. Yeah, I think uh, one thing so many people are starting starting to complain or at least ignore. I've seen so many people even just sell out completely of their specs, the the UWMCs, the the lots, the um the clove even even what was it the clove hindenburg announced a short on it 
Uh, I feel like it was a weird time to announce the short, even just while we um, talked to Carisdale the other day. And they said we wouldn't announce the short in the in the near future, you know. Yeah. And uh, it did drop and then it had its pop. You know, I think Chamath is one of those guys who is going to try and fight this. I think he, he was kind of shocked that like, wow, like ballsy of them to do this in this like social climate of, of hatred of shorts. Yeah. So so I went over everything and, and it's really great that we're able to do this on Monday after because usually, you know, if, if a short report comes out and then we do a podcast um, you know, I don't have time to, or we don't have time to really think it over and really digest it. So I've been able to digest everything. And I think there's a few key points that we should go over um, regarding the short report, Clove, and just short reports in the broad spectrum of things. It is definitely kind of an exciting time with it. I thought, I thought, you know, the Chamath thing would push it or just the announcement of the short itself after the uh, the first little dip it had. But I mean, the, the attack's kind of working right now. Uh, it's it's being pretty volatile, um, especially on like the clove. But even on the ones you're that that aren't being shorted, like the lots and UWMC. I mean, it is just not a good time to be a post merger uh, spec. I was even talking about to some people. Damn, I'm kind of thinking about after these specs merge, get some puts, play them for a couple of weeks. And then go long after it seems like that dip's done. You know, get some puts a couple months out for a couple, like nine, seven fifty or whatever, ten dollars. Yeah. Because I mean, they all open at what, like twelve, thirteen? Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Near, near it at least. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's a really good point. Is that is that you guys got to play the hot hand? And one of the biggest things that um, uh, Vinny and I had a conversation this weekend about is opportunity cost. Um, you know, there a lot of these mergers or a lot of these spacs are undervalued. And, and that's like supposed to be the great thing about them is that they're supposed to be at value or under value. So basically getting into an IPO at the very beginning. But something that we have to talk about is opportunity cost. And we touched on it, you know, obviously earlier, right, right inside this episode. But if you guys are sitting there and you guys are looking at your screen and you're seeing something down for nine days in a row and you think, okay, it can't go down 10 days in a row. No, it can. It can, it can, it can. And this is why we preach about two things, opportunity costs and position sizing and buying the dip. Okay. Your first starter on a stock should not be a heavy weight of your portfolio because you have to learn the personality of how it trades and and how, you know, does it like to dip inside the morning? Does it like to dip at night? How does it react versus spy? So if you guys have a hundred percent of your portfolio in, in a, in a post-merger SPAC and it's down nine days in a row. Yeah, it can go down 10 days in a row. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I, I mean, we saw it with SPAQ before it turned to FSR and I, like that, that's what I, I, I tried my best to learn as much as I could from that SPAQ trade. Cause as we saw it go from like 13, 14 to 18, I was scaling out, but my issue was I scaled back in it way too fast. And I was back at my original position by the time it was around 1550 and it dropped another like $7 to 880. So that was something I did a lot differently with lots and UWMC and Clove, especially like after the earnings of UWMC got out. You know, thank God I sold half there because now I've got a lot better average after this dip and everything. But I think uh, the thing is, like, you know, you got to play all of these different. I play SPACs different than I play 
almost any other stock. I mean, they're, they act, they have a world of their own. Yeah, exactly. And, and so if you guys, and, and the other thing, and uh, what do you call it? Vinny just texted me about this, is that if it doesn't have a catalyst and the only catalyst is undervalued, you need to ask yourself, what is the legitimate real timeline of this SPAC? So something like lots is a great example. Okay. Is it, okay. You have to ask yourself one, what am I waiting for? Am I waiting for a catalyst or am I just waiting for this to go up and it hasn't gone up for a few days in a row? You know, that's something you have to ask yourself, you know? So, so for me, am I in lots? Yes. But you know, I think that we could have some more downside on lots and that's why I have my bids already out there, you know, to accumulate anything that I can when it gets to the levels. And and that's something that is really important is that it, you know, I have about you know, let's let's say that you have 50% of your account in there. If this thing goes to, you know, $7 or something, you're going to be down huge inside your account. And that's why you have to learn position sizing. And, and why are you really, why are you in the stock? And what's your downside and what's your upside? What are you waiting for? Yeah, uh, someone actually messaged me and said, we should do an episode on the timeline of swings. But I think you just hit on it right there is the timeline of swing is you got to look for a catalyst. That that's what in our holding the bag episode where we define what holding the bag is is you're holding something you're losing money and you don't know why you're holding it so that you don't want to get holding a bag and you so if someone asks you right now why are you holding the stock you're down twenty five percent plus on you need to have an answer and if not you may think about trimming your position some exactly it, it, that's part of the reason that when NSPR dropped the offering I was buying it up because one I knew why they were dropping the offering. Two, I knew the timeline. And three, I knew the catalyst. Okay, if I didn't know those, then I wouldn't even be in the stock. But if the catalyst was farther out, I probably would have just gotten out of the the stock. Um, But I knew the catalyst. I knew the timeline. And now I'm up 100%. And and I went in heavier than I had originally planned for. But, you know, I I had my plan. It went to those levels. So I went heavier than usual. I said, this is super cheap. I know my catalyst. I know my DD. And I'm, I made a huge amount of money off of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's like, if you're not going to be a fundamental trader, you have to understand your swings in a different way. That's why I'm, I'm not as much of a fundamental trader. I, that's why I scalp so much. I don't set like price targets. I, I ride what I can. And I, I feel like I, I try and trade it in a smart way that is based off of the personality that I've learned of it. But at the same time, that I think that's why, you know, obviously Hugh will just add and have conviction on it and just fucking just let that catalyst ride. So I think that your, your, your timetable for your swing just depends on what you're waiting for. And uh, if you're just saying, you know, add this moon, 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 rocket emoji, you know, I mean, I guess you can wait for the rocket emoji. But I mean, it's definitely going to be better to have some uh, catalyst and fundamental DD that you're waiting for. Um, I know we just touched on clove, What what all do you have on? That? Yeah. So as I said, I've had to, time to digest it. And I think one thing that everyone has to understand is that with the short reports, okay, now that, now that Hindenburg has released the short report, um, you know, Chamath has replied, the company has replied and now Hindenburg has re- applied again. Now it's less about the facts of, you know, let's call it the case. And it's more about chess. Okay. Uh, and it's more about politics at this point. Um, because now both sides put their, put their cards on the table and now it's just about how they look to the public. Because again, Hindenburg 
can't look, can't, Hindenburg can't say, okay, um, Clove is, Clove is, you know, this and that. And then Clove just completely, um, you know, undermine them because then Clove's rep, I mean, uh, excuse me, Hindenburg's reputation is lost. Um, so now I, at this point inside the stage of the game, I basically block out the noise of both Hindenburg and Clove. Okay. They both put their cards on the table and now it's just about the politics. So, so I actually turned off Hindenburg's notifications because now it's just going to be a, a, it's going to be a, who has a bigger peen right now until either two things happen, either Clove, you know, get, gets, you know, a, sued by the United States of the, by the United States or, um, Clove sues Hindenburg and Hindenburg retracts their statements. And, and this is what I meant by there's a few key points after reading the Clove short report. One, is that Clove used their words super wisely. And someone who I follow on Twitter, his name's Tim Collins. He's a great follow. He, um, one thing that him and I talked a lot about is that CEOs are always out to do one thing, make their company look great. So did Clove use words that could be viewed as one thing or another? Yes. Did Clove say that, did Clove use words like, most and words that are open to interpretation. Yes. But guess what? So does every other company. And that's one of the things that, that, um, Hindenburg smashed on was that Clove didn't give exact statistics. They used open-ended words. And although, you know, we would love the statistics and things around that the CEO's job is just to make Clove look good. Is it the best thing as an investor? No, but you have to understand the, what their job is. So that's point number one. Point number two is that I don't trust anybody unless they put their money where their mouth is. Okay. Some of these, when I used to be, um, you know, first learning about FinTwit and stuff like that back in high school, one of the things that I always paid attention to, you know, we all like seeing huge gains, but if you can put your money where your mouth is, no matter the size, then that is someone that I paid attention to. So if someone just tweets, oh, I made 300K a day. Okay, that's good. But, you know, I, you know, I could tweet that out too. Um, so Hindenburg didn't actually. I get tweeted out too, just no one would believe me. <laughs> so Hindenburg didn't take on a short position. So that tells me one of two things. One, uh, the, it's not the environment to short, which it's it's definitely not. So they either don't believe inside their they don't believe inside their um, short report enough, um, or they think that they would get squeezed out. Which in that case, you know, they're never going to make any money if that's the reason that they're not trading it. Um, so that's something really to keep in mind as an investor is that Hindenburg is basically releasing a statement that says, "Hey, Clove is a little shady." Which, yeah, guess what? So is every other company. Um, you know, I mean, Nike, Nike has had issues for decades, um, being accused of things in third world countries, um, you know, and, and they came out and disputed it. And so it's really more of like an ethical standpoint. So Clove was using open-ended words. Yeah. I mean, Nike, Nike had to pick, you know, they had to pick their cause and their cause was comfy shoes, not paying child labor enough yeah, money. It, it, that's what I mean. Is that, is that, listen, like at the end of the day, you, well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that at the end of the day, you have to understand that 
this is a for-profit business. These companies are doing what's best. Yeah, yeah, they're doing what's best. It's the same thing. You know, Clove was trying to do what's best for them. Hindenburg didn't put on a short position, which tells me that they don't believe in it. And three, at no time, and this is one of the biggest things, is that at no time did Hindenburg call them a fraud. Hindenburg's not saying they're a fraud. They're basically releasing a little yellow yellow flag on Clove, which I'm fine with. Fine, release a little yellow flag. Tell me what's up. Now, I will tell you this. Okay, I, I, I've been thinking about it, and this is a call to Chamath. I would like to see Chamath put his money where his mouth is and buy another hundred million of clove. That would tell, that would be putting his peen on the table and saying, Hindenburg, you know, F you, I'm legit because Hindenburg did call out Chamath, um, not just clove, but Chamath as, as a person. And so if he put another hundred, hundred million shares, or 100 million worth of shares, that'd be putting his money where his mouth is. And that would make me as an investor feel really, really good. But I think at the end of the day, one, Hindenburg basically said that it was a cautionary tale. That's fine with me. Fine. Thank you, Hindenburg. Two, go through through it. And again, if you have 100% of your portfolio in it, maybe scale back a little bit. And three, um, you know, is there a DOJ investigation? Yes, there is. Um, you know, do we want to see that? No. But one of the things about the DOJ investigation is that what could happen from this? One, if the DOJ finds uh, compelling evidence, then Clove will get sued by the United States government. Two, um, the DOJ will basically say there could be something here, there couldn't be something here. So instead, we're going to take no action because if they clear Clove, but they still think that there could be some evidence, then um, and and then it comes out that Clove is like an Enron. Then uh, then then the DOJ basically looks like clowns. So they won't do that. So they'll just kind of put it on like the back shelf. Or three, the DOJ dismisses any any kind of investigation against Clove. And, and so I don't I don't know because again I'm I but from everything that I've seen. Um, you know, I think that the most probable is going to be either two or three to where the DOJ just says, we couldn't find anything here. Um, you know, did, did the CEO use words like most instead of using, you know, like 52%? Yes. Yes. But is that technically most? Yes. Yes. So I think that's kind of, you know, once I got time to digest it, cautionary tale, you know, again, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Perfect example. And, um, you know, I'm an investor. I'm not a trader inside this stock. I'm an investor in this one. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's what a lot of people are missing, too, is the is the long term potential of these. But uh, with all that, are you about ready to get into some of our swings? Yes, sir. OK, well, now we have our swings presented by Outdoor Backyard Discovery, the number one manufacturer of wooden swings and playhouses sets in the U.S., I'm just playing. They're not really sponsoring our swings, are we? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So some of uh, the swings, I, I'm like, I really like some of these Bitcoin swings. Um, Weeble was actually giving me a lot of XONE as my free stock, and then that one actually has gone up uh, like fifty percent in the past week. Um, so I, I, I haven't even looked into it, but I'm confident it's a Bitcoin play. Another Bitcoin play I really like is EQOS. I mean, I oh, we think we've been one. swinging that one from what thirteen? Yeah. Uh, hit above 20 today. And I think that one still has potential for what, up to 30? 
Oh, easily. It, Bitcoin, we talked about this, I think, four episodes ago. Um, you know, we really think that Bitcoin can go to 70,000. And I don't think that, you know, Bitcoin has legs right now. Um, I, I, you know, it had its pullback. Now, <laughs> I don't see why the first stop is 50K and then 70K, which would make, you know, all the Bitcoins, EQOS, Mara, Riot, uh, ANTE go nuts. <clears throat> yeah. And the other ones that I'm just accumulating, I know we've touched on a lot. I think down here is, is where I'm really comfortable adding a lot of these SPACs. And then uh, my last one, besides like the Clove, UWMC, and lots. Also, I've been playing this uh, FIII a good bit around that bottom 12 to around the 14 range. But those are like my biggest positions as of right now. What are, what are you kind of looking at? Yeah, so right now we... You know, and this is this is something that I've been trying to get back into is getting back into swings. Now that I think that after low float season is done, I think that swings are going to come back, and I think that we can start doing DD again, and uh, you know, make some serious money again. You know, my first two calls back were NSPR, um, which it took a little bit longer than I expected. They did drop an offering, which dropped the price about ten percent, and I just I I I took a huge amount, and uh, today. Just right now, it's hitting over 130 from about 66, so over 100% winner. Um, you know, so so tomorrow at open, I'm gonna cut about half, and then I'm gonna let the rest ride. Um, you know, 100% winner can't be pissed at that. Gonna let the rest ride, um, and then then my my biggest position as of now is Vissel. V I S L, one of our old time favorites. Uh, yeah, and you you've been releasing a lot of DD on Vissel on on Twitter. Do you kind of want to go into some of that uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, definitely. So Vissel is my new swing, and I really like this one for upcoming months because, well, really the next six weeks I think is going to be big. Oh boy! Before before you get into it, can I can I ask one thing? Yeah. Is it still a UAVS sympathy? <laughs> it's funny. My, I was just talking about that with somebody, and I, I think, I think they are finally disconnected from each other. I, I think oh, since gosh. UAVS is worth fifteen times the amount of Vissel, I, I haven't seen them running as much together. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that's a shame. Okay, continue. Yeah, I mean, wait. So, yeah, actually, you bring up a great point because we traded UAVS around March of last year. And at that time, UAVS had gone, has gone from a farming, scanning, agriculture company. So what that means is that basically they had three drones, a red Chevy Silverado in, uh, I think it was like Wickencock, Kentucky. And, um, and what they would do is that they would go to farms, scan it for where the hot zones are and where, and where the dry spots are and where they can improve water to now being a commercial delivery company worth almost a billion dollars. It was Wichita, Kansas, bro. And I'm disappointed you didn't remember that. I know. I'm sorry. You know, it's funny because, because I, I had, I had their, um, HQ, their quote unquote HQ on my, um, as my lock screen for a long time. And there, for anybody that wasn't around for that, it was, like I said, a red Chevy Silverado, a trailer with Ag Eagle solutions on it. And, um, and basically a barn in like a ghost town. Yeah, and and everyone at that time, all every all the talk was Amazon UAVS. Yeah, so and now crazy, crazy how far it's come. If I, I'll look back at my um files and see if I can find my old document of like forty pages and see if I had a had a screenshot of their website. Now, if you go on their website now, 
I mean, they look like a billion dollar company, but at that time, like I said, they, they had, um, you know, the, the founder still owned like 20% and he was like this little farmer. Um, you know, he, he just loved like farming and, and agriculture and stuff like that. Um, so, so that's part of my thesis about, um, Vissel is that Vissel was a primarily governmental contract drone company. They are now, they've completely transitioned into a, um, telecommunication company. I mean, it's on their LinkedIn. You can see the hires. They just hired like two executives. Um, I mean, this is, this is huge. Um, and, and I'm, and I was shocked that nobody like BSS picked it up because this is something, um, the governmental contract area, although it's consistent revenue, it's, it's exactly that it's consistent revenue. There's not much growth. So if you're doing $2 billion a year in governmental contract revenue, then great. You're going to do $2 billion a year. If you're doing 15 million a year, you're going to do 15 million a year. And so that's why we hadn't seen a huge increase in Vissel. Vissel's market cap right now is about 16 million. Um, and so now that they've gone into the telecommunication space, um, they, that space is going to be 500 billion inside the next seven to 10 years. That's a huge, that's a huge, um, you know, market opportunity. And so now you ask, okay, Hugh, well, guess what? There's like 50 other companies. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Guess what though? They have over 30 thousand customers right now anywhere from um spacex you know filming spacex filming tesla nascar they were at the freaking super bowl okay don't tell me that this is not an undervalued company because they are starting to itch their way into some of the biggest sports events the one of the biggest sports events um that we have seen and and, you know i've been working on like their ip um, you know, they have a lot of intellectual property that will be licensed, that will be used. They just came out with, um, I think it was Vistle 3.0. And um, they just came out with that and they're coming out with Vistle 4.0. You know, all of that is IP. You know, they have patent pending on a bunch of other stuff, trademarks. Um, for being a $60 million company, I'm almost shocked because at this point, I think they have a much bigger um, market opportunity than UAVS. And UAVS is about to crack the billion dollar market cap. Um, Vissel, they, like I said, is that they've, they've transitioned their team to telecommunications. Something else that I tweeted about today was that there's new CEO, Mickey Miller. I think his last name is, it's Mickey something. Mickey Miller, um, you know, he worked his prior two companies. He took from hundred million dollar companies to doing like 2 billion in revenue. And then he, um, had them acquired. So, I mean, that's, I'm not going to come out and say that that's the play here, but you know, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you know, it's a fucking duck. Um, so correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been trying to, uh, like I said, I've been in contact with the investor relations. Um, they've been, they, they haven't been, you know, they can't come out and say that they want to be an acquire in a, um, an acquisition target, but, um, you know, the CEO, like I said, he's taking sub you know, or hundred million dollar companies and turn them into billion dollar companies and then sold them inside emerging markets for billions. Um, so this is something that I have inside my Roth. My parents have it. I have it. I'm in huge. And I think that, um, what we'll see is, is that the next step kind of like UAVS is that, so in this kind of a process, what they do is, is that they get the customer and they get their first purchase order. They get their first contract. 
Then from there, after the first contract or, or the first purchase order, after that, they either don't get a second one or they get a significantly larger one. And I think what we're seeing with Bissell is that they've they've had their first contract and now they're starting to get their second contracts. And the great thing about an emerging market and something like telecommunication where there's a lot of money in it, um, it I mean, what was it? it? Like some Super Bowl ads are a few hundred million to run for like, to run like six Super Bowl ads, it's a few hundred million or something like that. This is a huge emerging market and a huge, and loads of money. And, um, you know, Vissel's really, really positioning themselves into perfect areas. So what I'm looking for is, uh, one, the chart is primed. It's starting to curl up towards that eight. It's undervalued. Like I said, a 60 million market cap. I would like to see it closer to 500 million by the end of the year. Um, you know, I would like to start to see second contracts and the investor relations will not tell me if they're working on second. Con- he, he, he told me that they are working on second contracts, but he won't tell me how close they are. But the great thing that but what he did tell me was that the great thing about the telecommunication space is that they can announce who they're involved with, which something with like UAVS, they said that they were in talking with a major e-commerce company, um, but they couldn't say who. The great thing about telecommunication is that when they get an, you know, when they get a contract for the Super Bowl, they can go and tell anybody they want that they got an ad for the um, Super Bowl. So I think that as we start to see follow-on contracts, um, you know, Vissel will start to ramp, and more people will be like, okay, wow, like this could be something. This could be something. And, um, you know, this is just going to be a slow grinder because like I said, I think it's so undervalued. It's sitting at a $60 million market cap. Um, I mean, hell, Zach Morris with a week's worth of gains could buy Vissel. Wow. He should. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's not, honestly, if I were him, I, I don't, I would probably because I think it's undervalued. They're coming out with more products. They, they already released 20 SKUs, but I think that, um, but you know they, they just released an investor presentation just within the last week, and that highlighted their 2021 goals. And part of that was releasing new IP and getting more patents, which will obviously bring attention, obviously raise the price. But something else to note is that when when companies release investor pr- presentations, they usually have something coming down the pipeline because that's when they want to get investors' eyes on it. What, this makes me think of ship when ship went from eight cents to like 70 cents. Um, they released a presentation two weeks before. So I really, and, and we have the chart, the chart looks great. So I, I'm really excited for this one. I have like, I I have a huge amount and any dip for me is going to be, you know, an ad. But that being said, I had a few DNs today asking why is Vistle going down? Vistle was green on the day. So I was a little confused why I was getting asked, um, why is Vistle tanking when it was up 20%? Um, so guys, you know, I obviously haven't done too many swings recently, um, you know, but if it's green, I wouldn't really consider that a dip. Yeah. So back in Vistle, it's March again, baby. Um, so I think, I only have like two more things before before we really wrap up. Uh, one, OTC stocks. Uh, I feel like a lot of money's going in there, huh? Yeah, OTCs have been hot. I I have a OTC scanner. I don't trade OTCs, but I do have a scanner. Long TD Ameritrade. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> and um, and it's been lighting up. I mean, we've seen OTCs go going a few ten thousand percent. I actually have a um, 
one of my friends, um, fathers, um, he's been trading OTCs for about three months. And what he's been doing is that, um, every OTC play, he, um, basically at a hundred percent, he takes his profit and then he rolls into an, he rolls the entire account and do another one. And at a hundred percent takes profit. And he's now, um, I think up 7,000% on uh four trades. Damn. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, it's getting stupid. I mean, anyone that's been following, anyone that's been following my positions on Instagram knows I've been, uh, in and out of mine a few times, but never sold all of my position. Uh, and from point zero 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 one, it hit, uh, half a cent today. So another 5,000% or went up a hundred percent. That's today. ridiculous. Yeah, man. It, it, there, there's so many, I, I really do want to get in. I just get scared putting a lot of money because yeah. I'm like, okay, I have 200,000 shares. If it goes down a tick, I'm, you know, or it's, it's just a lot. I might do, <laughs> so. I might do like a $5,000 account challenge, like with like, um, you know, with like OTC is like, you know, just for fun, like just kind of roll the profit like this guy's doing. We could do it together. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be fun. We could get a laid back style. Yeah. To <laughs> Um, but one last thing before we go, um, today, I, when I, I'm not sure if you watched Vivi's thing on Benzing on YouTube today, but it was on like biotechs and stuff. It was yeah. super good. It had a lot of, uh, little tidbits, um, for any listeners that wants to learn a little bit more about them. They have some of those that go on literally every day. So check that out. She talks about like how many companies usually make it to phase three data, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of nice tidbits in there. Uh, anything else you have before we dip set? No, we love seeing um, everyone inside the PGIR shirts. Um, you know, that's awesome that you guys tweeted us and you guys love them. Um, that makes us really happy. You know, it, one thing that I think we've talked about is that one of the things that we saw with GME and something that I think that we're going to see soon is that you have to be ahead of the curve or you'll be left behind. Right now, things are running wild. We mentioned it before that some plays are up 200% overnight before on, on absolutely nothing. They have no news. Um, and so that's when I start to, you know, that's when I start to look ahead. And so I think that one thing that's really going to be important is that for some of you guys that have been banking wild and you guys are going all in and, and like, like we talk about re- chasers are being rewarded right now. Um, and I think that, you know, we see this in January, we see it with the low floats. And then when, when we start to, when there starts to be outflow of low floats and inflow back into you know, let's call it like Bissell and like other companies, you know, dip, dip buys will be the way and chasers will get slaughtered. So this is a fair warning to anyone. Party close to the door. Yes. Yes. But I, dude, I've been using that so many for people that have been DMing me. I'm like, nah, Dan said party, you know, because that's really the way to go. Okay. Right now, if it's working for you, fine. You know, the saying you know, it's okay to get, I'm fine with getting off the bus one stop too late instead of three stops too early. That's fine. Do your thing. But the second that you start to see a downtrend, stop, stop, go cash and let's, let's regroup. Reevaluate. Yeah. Reevaluate because that (laughs) back back to the drawing board. Chasing was fun during January, but you know, it's back to February. Yeah, exactly. Cause throwing your entire account as something up 34% 34% on nothing um, and chasing it 
is not going to work forever. And when it stops, you can get same thing like we talked about on GMA is that when we talk about the, the backside of the trade comes 10 times faster. I mean that with your account, too. I feel like everyone saw it and knows exactly what you meant when you said that last week. I feel like last week everyone's like, OK, I don't know if it happened that fast. But I feel like after it after they saw GameStop and everything, they realized it, the backside does happen that much faster. Yeah, I, I think we said it that day too. Is that is that right now you, you're like you're like all right, whatever, whatever. But when you see it halt down or you see it, you know, jump a few hundred dollars in in seconds, you're it's gonna click. And and hopefully, you know, if you took a loss on it or you took a burn, hopefully that was a learning lesson. But I, I really just want to throw this out there. You know, we've seen this on a smaller scale for years now. Um, just like I said, on a smaller scale, okay, the whole throwing your account into something um, and not buying on a dip, you, eventually it will catch up. Um, right now it's fine. It's working great. This is a great time to compound your account. But when the tide turns, please, 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 please be smart. Yep. And I think that'll do it for this episode. Be smart. And uh, we're happy you guys tuned in on a Monday. Uh, Super Bowl is going on and I was stuck in like three different cities yesterday. So happy to be oh, yeah, home. Dude, how'd it go? The movie. Oh, super fun. We we did some things in a swan. You know, we, we had all I had my Margot Ro- Robbie moment in the bathtub. I think it'll be fun. They, uh, <laughs> I'm, I think it's going to be we're like the only joyful bit and everyone else is people that lost a lot of money on it. So uh, we will probably be either hated or loved. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> but all right, guys, uh, make sure to give us a five stars if you so please. And we will see you next week.